life and in relationships. And um, I found myself thinking about the context of the journey that you know I've been on. I, part of the reason is is because yesterday was the um, was my wife and I. We had, it was our 28th year anniversary. And what's so cool? Oh, you guys! Oh, wow! Okay, that's a that's a different one. That's a, um, but the, the cool part about it, that's a long time ago. That was a long time ago. Um, but I was thinking about the, the, the years that have gone by and uh, how, how um, you know, there was kind of two things going on. One, I had just come from a, a wedding, and I was thinking about that wedding and all the promises that were made and such. Maybe I'll talk about that later. But I was, I was thinking about my own life with my wife and, and how... Uh, that has been a, a journey of also of learning to, to forgive and learning how to show mercy to one another. And anything that's going to really prevail in love is, is going to need the grace of God, I think, especially as it relates to, I'm not saying anything, but when it comes to following the Lord together, certainly, that there, there's this great need on our part, if we're, if we're serious about, about being able to get past hurts. And uh, inevitably, we will hurt one another. We will... We will have occasions and reasons to hold on to our pain or anger or resentment. But those things have to be, be dealt with, you know. And um, forgiveness is such a huge piece of that. And Jesus had a lot to say about it. You know, one of his most colorful disciples, and we've been talking about Peter last few weeks as well, um, was, was uh, you know, again, Simon Peter, who had this amazing capacity to just ask these great questions. And part of it was because he's, he's a little bit different than most of the disciples because a lot of the, a lot of the characters in the, in, that interact with Jesus are more one-dimensional. But Peter is this very vulnerable, flawed, honest guy who just throws his heart into whatever he engages. And it's interesting because occupationally he was, more of a, he was a working man, but he was a, a genuine lover of God who thought a lot about things. And on one occasion, he must have been listening to Jesus talk about forgiveness or talk about what it means to, to be merciful and um, he was beginning to interact with that a little bit, and it's, it, it caused him to ask Jesus a question about where to draw his lines when people offend you. And, um, you know, and again, in Peter's day, it was, you know, commonplace for uh, this discussion to take place. I mean, some of the, the leading rabbis of his day that were considered especially gracious. You were considered especially gracious if you said three times, Right. So three times someone offends you, you forgive them. That was considered a very big deal. Because remember, the, the culture came out of, in the Older Testament, it's really clear in a lot of the ancient cultures as well, and it's still true today in some places, that it was the old, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You do me wrong, I do you wrong back. You hurt, we hurt you back better. Um, someone once said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If we still held that rule today, everybody would be walking around blind and, and toothless, right? There would, <laughs> there would be, we all, it'd be crazy. And so escalation can happen so quickly. That's the backdrop for this, this conversation that takes place. And if you can, you can either uh, turn in your Bibles or in your handout. I'm just going to read this out of the scriptures here. And this is from Matthew 18. And I'm going to look at verse 21. And it says, Then Peter came to him and he asked, he said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone um, who sins against me? Uh, you know, where do I draw my line? I mean, what do you have to say about that? Uh, you know, we would say, when do I say enough when someone wrongs me? What is, what is my responsibility in this forgiving thing? How, what is the extent of what, I'm, what you think I should? I know what some of the others are saying, you know. And uh, maybe in his mind, when he, he, then Peter says, what do you think, Lord? Do you think um, seven times? He picks seven. 
Now, maybe what he had thought about was, I'm going to take what the best are saying, double it, and add one, right? <laughs> and so, and I have a suspicion that he, he, he thought he was being extraordinarily gracious and was probably going to get the Lord's real approval for, for offering up such a, a splendid uh, you know, number uh, that, that just so clearly uh, was you know, beyond what everybody else was saying. So I think he was expecting kind of an, a, a word of approval. And um, he, he, he was a little surprised, I suspect, by what happens next, all right? It says here that Jesus responded. When Peter says, what do you think, Lord, seven times? And, and Jesus says, no, not seven times. And let's, let's pause for a moment. Um, maybe Jesus pauses between that statement and what follows next. No, not seven times. I knew I was being overly, overly gracious on that one, Lord. I, I, in Peter's mind, he's thinking, That's, yes, I know, I know, seven. I went way beyond, way beyond. And now he's going to bring it back to what? And the Lord says, no, 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 not seven. Really? No, I say to you, Peter, seven times 70. Peter's still like, mm. that's, that's, that's 490, Lord. I, that's, that's, a, that's a lot. And by which Jesus did not mean 490. What Jesus meant when he says seven times 70 is he meant without limit, my friend. See, Peter wanted a number. Jesus says, there is no number. In fact, he picks seven times 70 because what he's saying is, this is beyond numbering. Because what I'm asking you to do, if you want to know what I think, what I think is this, and what you need to be doing is not worrying about Marking your moments of forgiveness. This is no legalistic thing, my friend. This is about living in a way as one who forgives. Walk in a forgiving path. Live your life this way. Enter into your relationships. Do not keep a counter record. Live a forgiving way. This is the extravagant way of Jesus. And Peter was getting brought into this. And then Jesus says, in fact, let me, let me illustrate what I've just said to you. Let me, give you, let me tell you a story. That, when Jesus would underscore a principle, he oftentimes would, would tell a story. We call those stories parables. Jesus was a master storyteller. And I think it's part, and I've said this before, but it's worth reminding ourselves again, and it's so true. Even today, all the generations that have passed, think about it, how much we love story, whether it's in film or whether it's on a, in, in a written page or something that you know, is told to us. Why? What is it about the way we are hardwired as human beings that distinguishes us from all other creation? That we are drawn into things by story. That we are willing to suspend our disbelief for a bit of time and move into something and envision it in a different way. Jesus understood that. And so when he would tell a principle, like, no, not seven, seven times 70, he would say, and then he says, well, let me tell you a story. Let me, let me explain. Let me, let me kind of show it to you this way. And by giving a story, he would often create a perception that allowed someone to wrestle with an idea. Again, I look at this and I say, wow, Peter wanted a number, and Jesus gave him a principle. And then on top of it, he gave him a story that made it clear of where God's heart was. Now, let's read it together. Look what it says here, and we'll just jump in at verse 23. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared, Jesus says. Let me just put it this way. It's like there was this king, and this king who decided to bring his accounts up to date. And as he's going through, he realizes that as he wants to bring his accounts up to date with the servants who had borrowed money from him, basically he wants to have everybody pay him back who owes him and collect. This is in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. 
So somebody had owed him an extensive amount of money and it had not paid up, and he brought him in. And uh, what happened was, it says that he couldn't pay, verse 25, and so his master ordered that he be, <laughs> as would have, in that day, it was a very brutal thing, he sold him off into servitude. So he said, you could, he ordered that he be sold along with his wife, along with his children, and along with everything he owned, just to pay a part of that debt back. But the man fell down before his master, Jesus said, and he started to beg with him, and he said, please, please be patient with me, and I'll, I'll pay it all. I'll pay it all. And, and, and then the master, who was filled with pity, for one thing, he wasn't going to be able to pay it all. And he knew it. But his compassion touched him. His heart was pricked, as it were, by his pity for the man. And he, he said, I'm going to release you. He released him um, and forgave the debt. You owe me nothing. I forgive you. Leave. You're free to go. But really? Yes. But then Jesus says, but when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. And this guy grabs him. It says he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. You owe me my money. Maybe when he was trying to collect money to pay back the other one, the one he owed the millions to, he, he reminded himself of people who owed him. And, but this time he comes to him and he grabs the guy by the throat. That's the picture Jesus gives us. You pay me my money now. You owe me. Pay up. And his fellow servant fell down before him and he begged a little bit for a little bit more time. Be patient with me. I'll pay it. I'll pay it, he pleaded. But his, his creditor wouldn't wait. And he had the man arrested and put into prison and the debt until the debt could be paid in full. You're going to come up with it. And until you do, you're going you're gonna to pay for it in prison. And it says that when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They were disturbed. They were troubled. They were angry. They went to the king, and they told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the, the man he had forgiven. He said, you, you, you evil servant, I, I forgave you. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. You begged me. You asked me for mercy, and I gave it to you. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid the entire debt. And that's what Jesus says, my heavenly father, Peter, will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. In other words, he will judge you fiercely if you are not willing to forgive other people, your brothers and sisters from your heart. Wow. That's intense. And when, it's interesting because when when Peter, when Peter really processes it out, when Jesus says seven times 70, he was also implying that not only does there not have to be a limit, a number, but I think, and we've often talked about this, the value of, of, of that is that there are times we're going to have to forgive and forgive again. Some forgiveness comes easier to us than other types of forgiveness. Sometimes we're going along, we think we've forgiven something, and all of a sudden, man, something happens, something triggers it, and it's like, all oh, that, it just comes back. At that moment, got to forgive again. Applying forgiveness may require a continual effort. I'll put something up just for us to think about as we interact with this a little bit. And again, when it comes to advancing in faith, one of the things that is going to be required of some of us is going to be to let go of a grievance. And there are some things that God has for us that they're right in front of us, and he wants to break us into them, and he wants to do a new thing in us. But... He's going to need us to let go of something before 
I'm going to have to, if I want to go over there, I've got to let go of the, what I'm holding on to to get there. I, is, so as long as I'm holding this, I, I may like, I may want to go there, but I can't. It's not until I let go that I am freed up to go here. And there are some things in, the, in our lives that we're holding on to, and the Lord wants to get us to let go, to surrender that to him, to entrust him. It may have to do with some wrong that was done to us. It may have to do with a conflict that we have entered into that has filled us with such deep-seated anger that it threatens um, our ability to grow forward, that we are being hindered in our capacity to grow forward because we're so angry. And this is where this principle is just going to come into play. I know that there are some situations that are so far beyond repair in the sense that what has transpired, even if, even if there's an attempt made to get some type of healing, it can, it, it can never be what it was. It can't be what it was. And I get that. I get that there are some things that have so, such consequence that even if we forgive, it, it doesn't mean that it's going to go back to what it was. But Jesus is clear that we must all seek to walk a forgiving path. And one of the things it means is that although we're not to close our eyes to obvious wrongs, and we're not, and that's the other misnomer, I think, or sometimes I've talked to some people along the way in life that they're interpreting forgiving as accommodating something that's clearly unhealthy, dysfunctional, and in some cases just absolutely destructive. That is not necessary. Forgiving does not mean living in denial nor becoming a codependent of something that's so clearly off that it's, it's just wrong in God's eyes, it's hurtful and destructive. Um, but forgiving does mean there's oftentimes a decision on our part uh, to confront things in our own heart. I thought that was interesting because one of the things that when Jesus said that, he, he said, from your heart, which is an interesting phrase, because what he was implying was, don't just kind of go through the motion on this thing. There, this is an issue of the heart. And there are some things that the Lord wants us to just confront. And especially if, here's why I think anger, when it's residing in us, needs to be at least addressed. Because anger unaddressed, when it's really hostile, it, it can not only, be, not only become destructive, but it, it, it can, if it's not taken care of and dealt with, it can turn into a, uh, an infection. Now, we get an infection when we see it. And we have to take sometimes medication just to get our body, to help our body fight it. But when an infection hits our soul, our spirit, the Bible says be very careful about allowing a root of bitterness to reside in your heart. It says this interesting phrase. It says, by which many are defiled. When bitterness is allowed to take root in us, and that's why I see anger that is infected for a long period of time can turn into a kind of, of a bitterness and that has a corruptive capacity inside of us, which is why we need to address things earlier than later and not allow something that is a relatively minor thing to grow into a larger issue inside of our own heart. I guess what I'm saying is it pulls us back. What it means is we're going to have to, to, at times, loved ones, give our hurts to Jesus and give the unfairness of the situation to the Lord. That's like a, oh, you mean give it to Jesus? Well, I mean, we're saying, Lord, I, I, I'm placing this in your hands. I'm not going to hold it. By your grace, help me to not hold this thing so tightly, but instead to trust you with this wound. And if possible, to, to get some type of reconciliation or at least to seek peace. But if, I, but if the only person I can take responsibility for is myself, then I choose to surrender my wound to you. 
And there's something powerful about that. It's, it's, it means that we refuse to live as a, as a victim perpetually. And I, I say because instead we see ourselves as ones loved by God. And so the, 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 when someone says, well, who, who am I? Who am I? I am one loved by God. He loved me and he still loves me. And that's how I see myself. And so I can love people because I am loved. There's a deep truth to that. I take it one step further. So forgiveness is not only you know, a key to advancing because it, it frees us from a negative past or from our past, but here's the second piece of that. It also means sometimes surrendering our grievance or our hurt or our wound or our offense is important because holding onto it can rob us of the, of the gift of the present. And uh, so much that is good can be lost. I, and I, I think this is huge. So not only does an impact, not only does holding on to things affect our ability to move forward, but it also really affects our ability to enjoy the gift of the present or the special people the Lord's put into our lives because, because there's something inside of us that's, that's undermining that. And, you know, I was reading, and I, I have a few authors that I love to read more, you know, as, I've, as the years have gone by, I, I've gotten great blessing from them. One of them is a man named Gordon McDonald, and I've talked about him before. He's a much older man now. When I first started reading him years ago, he was in, the, in his midlife. Now he's advanced in years. And one of his books that he wrote recently, I think it was called The Resilient Life, he wrote about how he himself was a pat, impacted by another man's story um, and a, a book that was written by a man named John Claypool, who was, I think it was called The Preaching Event. He, I want to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to read to you a piece uh, from McDonald's book, and I just kind of wanted to illustrate a point here that uh, we were sort of engaging. This is, it says, in one of his books, John Claypool, this is McDonald writing, related the story of twin brothers who were inseparable. They were Growing up, they attended the same schools, they wore similar clothes, they engaged in the same activities, and when they reached manhood, they took over a family business, a store, and they worked so well together that they, they were the envy of every business person in their community. And then one morning, Claypool writes, a customer entered the store and purchased an item for a dollar. He says, I know, I know, this is an old story, all right? And the brother who waited on him took the bill, placed it on the top of the cash register, and walked to the front of the store with the customer to say goodbye. A while later, he returned to the cash register and noticed that the dollar was missing. When he asked his brother if he had put the bill in the register, his brother said he'd never seen it. Well, that, that's funny. First brother said, I, <laughs> I distinctly remember placing the bill on the register, and no one else has been in the store since. Now, had the matter been dropped at that point, Claypool comments, nothing would have come from the incident. However, about an hour later, this time with a noticeable hint of a suspicion in his voice, the brother asked again, hey, are, are you sure you didn't see that dollar bill and, and, and put it into the register? And the other brother was quick to catch the note of accusation, and he flared back in defensive anger. The incident was the beginning of the first serious breach of trust that had ever come between these two, and it grew wider and wider and wider. And no amount of discussion resolved the issue. And finally, the matter crescendoed in an angry decision to dissolve the partnership. And then on top of it, he says, a wall was erected dividing the building in two. And what was once a thriving business became two struggling competitive stores, each brother trying to enlist allies for himself and against the other. And then Claypool added, 
The, the tragedy of it is that this open warfare went on for over 20 years. Then one day, a car with an out-of-state license drove up in the front of the stores. And a well-dressed man got out, and he went into one of the sides, and he inquired how long the merchant had been in business in that location. When he found that it was mm, over 20 years, the stranger said, and I think you are the one with whom I must settle an old score. The visitor then related an incident from 20 years back. He had been a drifter, he said, moving from town to town. No money, almost nothing to eat. And then he said this, as I was walking down the alley behind your store, I looked it in and I saw a dollar on, on top of the cash register and everyone else was in front of the store. I had been raised in a, in a Christian home. I had never before in all my life stolen anything. But that morning, I was so hungry, I gave in to the temptation. I slipped through the door, and I took that dollar bill. And you know what? That act has weighed on my conscience ever since. And I finally decided that I would never be at peace until I came back and faced up to that old sin, and I made amends. Would you let me replace that money and pay you whatever is appropriate for damages? Which, if you think about that. Wow. Claypool describes how the storekeeper, now a much older man, began to shake his head in consternation and weep. And after a few minutes, when he had gained control of himself, he said to the stranger, I want you to go next door and repeat the same story you just told me. And the stranger did it, only this time there were two older men who looked remarkably alike, both weeping uncontrollably. Now, McDonald says this. I don't know for sure if this is a true story. But I must tell you that I cannot read it, and I have read it often without a bit of emotion of my own. You see, it stirs within me thoughts of relationships of which I have been a part of where there was strain, to say the least, or a schism or a division, to say the worst. You know what that story is about? He says this story is about forgiveness, or rather the lack of it. And then he says this very candidly. He presses into his life in a way that only someone who's lived a number of years really can do, without pretense or fear of being judged. And he says this, in the years of my life when I lacked maturity and wisdom, there were times when I found myself in relationships that could not, or so it seemed, um, be, re be resolved. I was capable of carrying a grudge, of feeling vindictive and wanting to hurt back of, which is, he says, so typical of me, wanting to avoid an encounter in which the matter might be talked out and brought to an honorable conclusion. And the reason, McDonald says, he was so reluctant to confront things because there was a kind of passivity about him. He didn't like conflict. And so rather than resolve something, it was easier to just pretend there wasn't a problem when there really was one and avoid the entire issue and it just didn't get better. And I think that's very insightful on his part to be able to say, you know, I look back on my life, it's a pattern. It's a way in which I've tended to engage people. My tendency has been to pull back when I probably should have confronted something, put it on the table, and tried to deal with it honestly and work through it, at least try, but I didn't. I had a tendency, he says, to, typical of me, to avoid an encounter in which a, a matter might be talked out and brought to an honorable conclusion. And then he says this, left to myself, I was basically clumsy when it came to conflict and resolution. He says, once, he, think, he says, I actually think I hated a person for a brief while. I mean, really hated a person. 
If there was a moment of insight when I began to see this dangerous trait for what it was, it came on an airplane as I traveled toward a church where I was about to preach for a weekend. I was a young man and there were feelings boiling inside of me that were frightening. Here I was filled, filled with feelings of resentment towards a colleague. How I wondered could I enter into any kind of a pulpit that weekend and preach the peace of Christ and the grace of God even in my immaturity? I knew I couldn't. I'm always reticent, he says this, to suggest that God has spoken to me. While I believe in the mysterious promptings of God's Holy Spirit, I'm uncomfortable in using the kind of language that insinuates a direct conversation. But if I can put it this way, but on that day, on that plane, God spoke to me. Little hateful me. Here I was crying out to God for relief from my hostile feelings, feelings which he puts in. Think about this statement. Feelings, these hostile feelings, which years later, I think, I believe, were actually disproportionate and probably unwarranted. And then I heard, as I was thinking about these things, I heard and asking God to help me with my hatred. I heard God whisper into my life three words. How? about forgiveness. Something simple like that. Three words. That's all I heard. He was asking me to try forgiveness. And I, you know what? He says, I decided to try. And the next hour of flying time included one of my life's most memorable spiritual experiences and an unusual experience of divine encounter. I felt the extraordinary power of God's spirit empty me of a hateful thought. And when that time ended, I felt as if I weighed 50 pounds less. I had let it go. And I think I was, I was sitting with that, you know, um, mulling it over. And it was, I was thinking about the, just there's so many things that connect with what Jesus taught us. I mean, for one, and the whole idea of a wall being built. I mean, I, the physical wall to me is a reminder of what happens when a relationship breaks down. I mean, we're talking about an entrenchment of positions, in this case, over something that wasn't even true. It was a misunderstanding both perceiving it different, one taking an offensive move, the other one becoming defensive, creating ultimately a wall amidst people who should have loved each other and squandered decades of relationship over nothing, really. It can, and it can happen to us in different ways. And I'm not saying we're going to get it right all the time. I get that. But one of the things, that, again, we are reminded of is, is the value of opening up our hearts to forgiveness. You know, I was thinking about it because it's so easy in us to, to, to want to retaliate. Um, you know, as, as I was reflecting myself, I was sitting and I was actually thinking about this message and it was, it was interesting to me. Two things came to my mind. Two, one was I had a recent conversation with someone who was telling me that a person they loved had reacted in a way that was so out of alignment, align, that they said things and they told me what they said. And it... it it, it, it was out of line. And he said, you know what? That is unacceptable. And I said, I agree with you. It's unacceptable. He said, I need to, I need to talk this. And he, basically, it was, it, was, it was anger. And I understood. And I said, you know what? I get what you're saying. And at some point, you probably do need to deal with that and talk about what is appropriate to say when we're angry. I get that. But I need to say something to you. And I just happen to know this person well. And I said... I know there have been certain moments where the person that stepped over the line has forgiven you when you have been clearly in the wrong and forgiven you in profound ways. And you want to hold this 
What about mercy? Now, it was easy for me to give advice. I was sitting on a treadmill <laughs> yesterday. Well, I wasn't sitting, actually. I was walking. And I was sort of. And I, I was, I had just finished a conversation with my wife. And I had said something about someone else. And it was, there was an, an, an element of hostility that came out of me. And it was a judgmental hostility. And I went back down, and I was in the middle of doing my normal day like I did. It didn't even, didn't even dawn on me. I'm sitting here thinking about the message, Saturday's message. And all of a sudden, the Lord said, you know what? Where did that come from? What is that? You, who have been extended mercy by me on so many occasions, could so quickly speak out that judgment and not even blink and walk away self-righteously? It, that's what Jesus is getting at. And it's this last thing, we'll probably, and we'll close it up with this. If we want to be forgiven by Jesus, he, what did he teach us? Number three here. If we want to be forgiven, we want to live in his forgiveness, then we have to be open to forgiving others. If we want to receive his mercy, we need to then, in turn, make a decision that we're going to be more merciful in our life. Jesus said... Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You want to know? And this takes us all the way. We're going to finish where we started, all the way back to the beginning of Matthew 18. Do you know when Peter asked that question, and he asked it with utmost sincerity, when he asked this question about, Lord, you know, who am I supposed to forgive? How many times am I supposed to forgive? It was a question that prompts Jesus' great teaching. We, we just read it. The unforgiving servant, the unmerciful servant, as it's sometimes called, the, the unforgiving debtor, however, whatever title we put on that story. One thing is that when Peter asked that question, he asked it with utmost sincerity, but he didn't know at the time. He, he couldn't foresee at that time when he asked that question how much he himself was going to need desperately forgiveness. He couldn't see. The confident man who asked the question couldn't know, didn't know how on the other side of his denial, he was going to need so badly the cup of forgiveness offered to him, like, like, a, like a man dying of thirst in a desert place. He was going to literally drink that, barely be able to drink that cup of forgiveness offered to him. And he needed it so bad, he couldn't see it. And it's a reminder to me, it's like, Lord, there are, we, 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 do not, we are not to live holding grudges. I mean, we don't always get it right. Sometimes it takes us a while. Like McDonald, we look back on something and go, man, you know, I should have handled that differently. I wish I could go back and change it. I can't. We can learn from things. We can grow. We can get better. We can determine to forgive. We can be more merciful. We can ask God to help us, remind us. If we need his forgiveness, we all needed his forgiveness when we welcomed him in as our Savior. I receive your forgiveness, Lord, as my Savior. And by your grace, I will follow you as my Lord. But I still need his grace, and I still need his mercy, and I still get it wrong, and I still step out of boundaries, and I still say things I shouldn't, and I hold thoughts that, I, uh, uh, that are not his. I will always need his forgiveness to the day I die. So will all of us. Blessed are the merciful. They shall receive mercy. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we want to be a people who move forward with you. And we want to love better and we want to do better. And we want to do the best that we can. We can't control other people. We control our own heart. And so we choose to open up our lives to you to help us to grow. And so I just want to ask you to just bless this word. It's a simple 
honest, true word. I thank you for what you taught us, the way to live. Help us, Lord, if there are things you want us to just get out, surrender to you, let go of. Maybe years back we'll see, you know, it was way not as much as what I thought it was. Lord, remind us, remind us. And even when we have something that we know is very legitimate, remind us still the better way is the way of forgiving. It's the way of life, the way of freedom, the way of blessing. It's the way we, we love well and, and do well by honoring this truth. So I just want to ask you to bless uh, these closing minutes. Bless the song. Bless our time of giving as many of us who have committed our lives to you, Lord. And, and we seek to honor you in our giving, in our giving and in our forgiving. Bless this, this closing moment. Bless this song. Bless this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.